Chapter Four of Irene Iddesley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Irene Iddesley by Amanda McKittrick Ross. Chapter Four. When on the eve of glory, whilst brooding over the prospects of a bright and happy future, whilst meditating upon the risky right of justice, there we remain wanderers on the cloudy surface of mental woe, disappointment and danger, inhabitants of the grim sphere of anticipated imagery, partakers of the poisonous dregs of concocted injustice. Yet such is life. Sir John's visits began now to be numerous at Dilworth Castle, each visit serving further to strengthen the link of relationship, and bury, in the heaving breast of seeking solace, the dull delight of the weary past. As the weeks wore on, he reckoned them only as days, when comparing their loving length with those of the bleak years he tried to enjoy alone, before taking such steps—yes, serious steps—as those fancied by the would-be bachelor. At first he was careless and indifferent to the flowery harangues of mothers who paid him periodical visits, with their daughters, of apology, and firmly retained the obstinate qualities of an autocratic ruler— until softened in the presence of one he found he was learning to steadily love. He believed now that the chief stripes, viz., observation, inclination, advancement, and accomplishment, in the well-spun web of matrimony, must harmonize with the groundwork of happiness, without which our lives are not worth an unstamped coin. Love's path, on which Sir John was known now to tread with the step of intensity, seemed smooth as the ice of Inglewood. There were no obstacles in his way of which he was yet aware, save imagination. This also was chased from his mind by the evident and ample return of Irene's polished affection, the foul gloss of which he failed to notice, and whose pretensions were so cleverly carried out as to defy detection. Irene was an accomplished and clever girl, and well able to sustain her hidden regard throughout for one who for years previous had been endeavouring to remove the great barrier of position which blocked his path of approach towards her affection. As yet her parentage was totally unknown to Sir John. Still, he felt it must not have belonged to the rude and ridiculous, since she possessed all the qualities, outwardly and features, of a highly refined race." and when only a girl of eleven summers, when the worthy hand of benevolence, friendship, and love clutched the tiny fingers of absolute want, there visibly seemed nothing lacking in appearance, manner, or education to solicit the pity or suspicion of her charitable guardian and protector. Sir John Dunfern's many visits of late to Dilworth Castle had been creating quite a sensation throughout the quiet corners of costly curiosity, until an announcement appeared in Mac's society journal to the following effect. A marriage is arranged to take place in August between Sir John Dunfern, of Dunfern Mansion, County Kent, and Irene Iddesley, adopted daughter of Lord and Lady Dilworth, of Dilworth Castle, in same county. This notice, no doubt, caused the partakers in drawing-room tete-a-tetes to share in the pangs of jealousy, with silent resentment. Perplexity, a little, would find refuge within the homes of many who led society by the string of superficial show and pompous importance, and during the interval that elapsed between such an announcement and its important celebration, many and infamous were the charges poured forth against Irene Iddesley. 
the month preceding Irene's wedding was one of merriment at Dilworth Castle, Lord and Lady Dilworth extending the social hand of fashionable folly on four different occasions. They seemed drunk with delight that Irene, whom they looked upon as their own daughter, should carry off the palm of purity, whilst affluence, position, and title were for years waiting with restless pride to triumph at its grasp. It was at the second of these social gatherings that the first seed of jealousy was sown within the breast of Sir John Dunfern, and which had a tendency to remain until it gradually grew to such a rapid state of maturity as to be rooted, if possible, forever from its dusty bed of ambush. Yes, when the merriment was at its height, and the heat too oppressive to allow much comfort to the corpulent, the espoused of Irene dropped unexpectedly out of the midst of the aristocratic throng, and, being passionately an ardent admirer of the fairy-like fruits of the efforts of the horticulturist, directed his footsteps toward the well-filled conservatory at the south wing of the building. The different shaded lights which dangled from its roof bestowed a look of Indian exquisiteness on the many quaint and delicate productions of nature that rested daintily in their beds of terracotta tint. But before leaving the room he vaguely scanned the throng to catch a glimpse of Irene, and failed to notice her amongst the many who danced so gaily to the well-timed tunes of the celebrated pianist, Charles Woden, whose musical touch was always capable of melting the most hardened sinner into moods of mellow softness, or cheering the most downcast and raising their drooping look of sadness to that of high-strung hilarity. Sir John wandered in and out through the numerous windings of sweetest fragrance, until arriving at the farthest corner, of rather darkened shade, and on a wire couch beheld the object of his pursuit, in closest conversation with her tutor, whose name he had altogether failed to remember, only having had the pleasure of his acquaintance a few hours before. "'Can it be possible?' exclaimed Sir John, in profound astonishment. "'Why, I have been searching for you for some time past, and have accidentally found you at last.' Irene, rising to her feet in a second, was utterly dazed, and had the dim lights showed her proud face to advantage, the ruddy glow of deepest crimson guilt would have manifested itself to a much greater degree. Making multitudinous apologies, etc., she at once joined Sir John, who led her back, in apparent triumph, to share the next waltz. How the true heart beat with growing passion during the remainder of the merry festivity, and as the final announcement of separation was whispered from ear to ear, the gradual wane of love's lofty right would fain have dwindled into pompous nothing, as the thought kept tickling his warm enthusiasm with the nimble fingers of jealousy. That she whom he had ardently hoped should share his future with sheer and loving caresses of constant companionship and wife-like wisdom, should be trapped in probably vowing to another her great devotion for him. But better allow the sickening thought to die on the eve of insult, rather than live in the breast of him who, at no distant date, would hear the merry peals of wedding-bells ring with gladness, and naturally rejoice at the object of their origin. End of chapter 4. Read by Kara Schallenberg. www.kray.org. On February 2nd, 2012, in San Diego, California.